welcome to another episode of Breaking Mayberry, the podcast that teaches you how to be a modern American woman. No, God, I'm not. I'm not going nope, to make that yeah, promise. No, absolutely not. <laughs> see, I am one of your hosts. I am Marty Schneider. I'm the other host. I'm Dan Ludwig. See, it's great because you get to see a drive time radio DJ possess him in real time. That was fun. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and the other voice you just heard is, uh, I forgot how I was going to introduce, is sexuality educator, writer, woman about town, <laughs> host of the DTF podcast with De- with Daryl and Timory, Dr. Timory Schmidt. Hello. Thank you for being on here, Timory. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to, to talk so much shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, this is going to be a dark one. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm just, I'm just going to give a heads yeah. up uh, to our listeners right before. Um Dan and I went through this episode. Normally, we're like, oh, we can clown on this. Like, normally, there's some good stuff to, like, make fun of and clown about, which is pretty much our only skill set. <laughs> uh, and in this one, there's not so much stuff to clown on, so much as there is to just be angry at. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I – so I exist as a as a woman in the world, so I found it hilarious mm-hmm. in just the fact that it exists. Like, we were talking about why did I pick this episode, and the answer is, like, just from – the top uh so it's the americanization of of genie which is a name which i assume is an homage to the americanization of emily which is a movie that came out the year before and won like a bunch of oscars it's got uh julie andrews in it but uh it's basically just a straight up parody of feminism and the whole show overall i dream of genie has struck me as basically like a sort of anti-feminist parody of Bewitched in a lot of ways. Uh, so this episode seemed to encapsulate like the overall theme of the show in a really, really crystallized way. Working theory I've had is that it's a manifestation of sort of straight-laced America's conflicted feelings about the counterculture mm-hmm. in that they're sort of, they're frustrated by it. They're sort of um, condescending towards it, but they're also deeply fixated because it sort of seems like this very freeing, powerful thing. So it's like kind of intermixing their resentment and also their attraction to it. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's that's what I've been working on. I don't know if that if that like clicks with what we saw here today. This episode might have completely shot that interpretation in the head. Yeah, I want I want to point this out. So we have not gone straight through. You picked the very first season one episode of anyone else we've we've gone with so we've only seen later episodes and watching this one gave me like was supposed to give me some context this is the sixth one of these we've done dan and i have watched two or three additional episodes so about four or five hours of doing this if you spend five hours on anything you should have a general grasp of that thing and if anything i am more confused now (laughs) we've been trying to figure out for a while like Jeannie's level of empowerment, both A, literally, like, what are the limits to her powers, and B, figuratively, like, as a woman or a person. And this just upended any idea of what we had. Before we get into this, before we do this, (laughs) wow! Normally I complain that we take too long to get into the episode. (laughs) Timory, tell us about what you do and uh, and, uh, where people can find you and why we brought you on, Yeah, what the 
the fuck am I doing here? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm What's Dr. Timurie. Yeah. What is my deal? What's up with you? <laughs> so I uh, am a sexuality educator, as you mentioned, and uh, I've been doing sexuality education for more of my life than not. So I started out as just like a nerd who read a lot about sex and felt very comfortable talking about it, even when I had no personal experience. Uh, then I became like a pure sex educator at uh, the University of Nebraska. Uh, was a sex columnist there, HIV prevention counselor and tester. So, like, when you go in to get your HIV test, I would be the person who would talk to you about, like, what are the current risk factors and what can we do to change that up? I have been a classroom teacher of human sexuality. I do lots of workshops. Um, I Yeah, I've worked in a lot of different capacities in this field. Um, and I have a lot of different areas of focus, but one of the major ones is um dissecting media and using media to do sexuality education so uh what do media messages implicitly teach us about sexuality what can we take away from media to learn about the culture at large and and why people behave the way they do in sexual ways um and then also yeah i i do podcasts and i write and stuff like that so using media to just do overt sexuality education so this is very much my shit yeah, would, this you, is would you so like in to your just wheelhouse. have the podcast <laughs> You are clearly way more qualified to do anything than either of us are. No, this is fun. I and, and I and I have my own. I have Sex yeah. with Tim Marie podcast, which uh, we are. Oh God, we're close to four hundred episodes at this point. So we've been doing it for a hot second. And then DTF, the Daryl Timmery Fun Hour, which is a collaboration with my dear friend uh, Daryl Charles, who's a, a crazy brilliant comedian. Um, so he does the comedy, and then I step in and I go, actually, and then I like explain research methods, and then uh, we have guests who sit there baffled uh, and and sometimes chime in. It's kind of <laughs> perfect because you were like the most qualified to talk about this specific subject matter, and you picked basically like the boss battle of uh, this show. <laughs> like this is I'm not fucking around. Yeah, this is the most <laughs> challenging one we've looked at. There are layers and layers of bullshit, mm-hmm. like. The the last one we did is like, what would it be like if you cloned Sammy Davis Jr.? And this <laughs> one is like, like what? Let's unpack like the the nineteen sixties understanding of gender dynamics and how they're shifting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, belly dancing. Like I said, this is our only season one episode, uh, and I noticed in the later episodes they definitely the plot lines tend to go. Really silly, really bombastic. We've compared it to Looney Tunes on numerous occasions. The the past couple of, of episodes we've had are like, what if there were two Sammy Davis Juniors? And what if you could send a man back in time to the Old West? And and stuff like that. Uh, and I think, uh, to your point about uh, an anti-feminist bewitched, I think that early first season has a lot to do with, like, modern everyday housewife stuff, uh, but with magic. Mm-hmm. And Bewitched was already doing that. And they were already doing it better. There were like three of them. And yeah. and from what I gathered, I did like very cursory research on it because like I hadn't watched I Dream of Jeannie in years. I think I was probably a child. And and most of my references are just to like it existing, not necessarily mm-hmm. having directly watched it. So I did a little bit of research and it basically seems like I Dream of Jeannie was the, the third of the Magical Housewives shows. And in that way, um, it was sort of even by some people's estimation at the time, sort of a parody of the other ones, like trying to find where Mm -hmm. else can we like capitalize on this incredibly simple idea. It it seems like it's big distinguishing, like the way they, they advertise it, especially in that opening exposition is just like bewitched, but she's, but with an intense sexualization of Barbara (laughs) Eden. But she's a sexy baby. (laughs) We've used the phrase sexy baby in these six episodes. I think, 
eight hundred times. Yeah. The, the term yeah. I really like is "born sexy yesterday." Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, but, uh, someone on YouTube coined that, and it really fits with this. Literally, the exposition for this 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 starts off with some like. Here's a background on the show, because it was only the eighth episode. Mm -hmm. Screw it, I'm getting into this. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are talking about Season 1, Episode 8, The Americanization of Genie. Originally airs November 6, 1965. Uh, Written by Arnold Horwitt and directed by Gene Nelson. Those names mean absolutely nothing. They can go to hell. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Given what time it was made, they probably already have. Yeah. (laughs) And here is your two-sentence summary from Wikipedia. Jeannie becomes enthralled by a magazine article that explains how to be the perfect American woman. She hopes to impress her master with her self-reliance, but her domestic touches soon prove disastrous. So, <laughs> this is, I think... That, that's the sentence that you read and said, yeah, we're yep. going to do that one. Yep. Like, with everything we watch from the 60s that has any touch of feminism on it... I always kind of watch it like it's a roulette wheel waiting to find out where it's going to land. Like, does the woman win or does the man win? And on this one, it felt so much like that, where every time, like, Jeannie or Tony, like, advanced, I was like, God, I can't. At best, this is not a nightmare. And at worst, this is the most (laughs) despicable thing I've ever seen. There's an episode of the Andy Griffith Show that questions, should women be able to vote? Yeah. And, wow. Uh, this is kind of worse. And this is kind of worse. <laughs> yeah, so like I uh, said earlier, there is like a little bit of backstory to this one. This one kind of explains the concept of what I Dream of Genie is. It's like, uh, and it, it paints it as like a fairy tale. Once upon a time in Cape Canaveral, there was a man who went up into space, but then he came back down and he found... A bottle, but it wasn't a normal bottle. It was a monster mash. And then, and then so, uh, you know, they go through the first episode, like, in a montage format. Jeannie comes out of the bottle on the island, and the first thing she does is just tongue down the throat. Just, like, she gets out of there. She bows. I'm sorry. That's the first thing she does. She kneels down, gets up, and then just tongue down. I have seen porn with way more setup than this. Well, like, there's so many questions I had immediately because also she has this weird like, wh- which all cultures are you ap- appropriating <laughs> here? Because it's like, what time period are you speaking from? This like, dost thou bullshit which is like, that does not exist really anywhere. And then her clothing was very much like, I don't know, like a uh, Halloween store version of yeah. the Middle East, but like not really even close enough to even be appropriative because it's just so weird and then she'll talk about you know she was serving these sultans or whatever and then why are you white and it's like i know karen you're not allowed to ask people why they're white but like still in in the last episode i think we let this go way too easily in the last episode but in the last episode we did uh she mentions that she's got connections in the entertainment industry like shakespeare and ben hur what completely different time (laughs) periods completely different parts of the world it's like it, I feel like if we kept watching this, we'd eventually hit an episode where she's like, I, and then I, I hung out with a T Rex, like yeah. <laughs> you know, just when I was chilling in the Mesozoic era, whatever. Like it, it feels almost genuinely like like cultural appropriation, but they do not oh. know where the Middle East was. And also, side note, I don't know if she does this a lot, but there was a point in the episode where she says like. Allah be with you? And I went, what? She she also speaks Arabic at one point in time in this episode. What? I'll tell you right now, from what we've seen later, that gets dropped real fast. Yeah. She doesn't do any of that stuff. 
Because they're, like, just trying to be exotic or whatever, and then they're like, actually, we don't know enough. That was all we had. (laughs) That starts pretty racist, and then in later episodes, like... She just mentions camels a lot in the later episodes. Still terrible. But she's no longer doing Arabic by just like gutturally muttering through her throat. Oh, wow. uh, or or it's like first verse of original Disney's Aladdin uh Arabian Nights kind of oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. Like there were some references to like people getting their ears cut off for like bank loans or whatnot. So Allah be with you. You I know their Google wasn't around back then, but you can't do like a second of research to or- well, I mean, it, it literally speaks to, like, who would they have asked? Like, I don't know yeah. if there's anyone Muslim working in Hollywood in the 1960s. I don't know. <laughs> I know, have no idea. I bet there were a lot more than we think. That's probably, Simply yeah. because white people hadn't decided to hate them yet. I, there's probably that's, a, I mean, that's a that's a valid point. Like, in, in terms of, like, which, which groups are marginalized and, and more and more hated, like, Muslims have increasingly experienced that i think probably more so than they they did in the 60s that's a good point we weren't necessarily at war with anyone and we weren't trying to paint an entire region of people as terrorists or anything like yeah so so yeah so there's a big question of what the hell is genie appropriating unclear Uh, and then another another bit of context that i think recontextualizes the entire show is they make it a point that as soon as genie got tony off the island he set her free. He's like Jeannie is not necessarily a servant of uh, Tony. She is quote unquote free to go at any time. Wait, when did they establish that? They sta- in, in like that first little intro. Uh, they say like Tony was so ha- Major Nelson was so pleased he set Jeannie free, but Jeannie wanted to have fun and wanted to spend time with Major Nelson, so she follows him too. So that's confusing because like some of the stuff that I was reading about uh, would be how. Not necessarily in this episode, but in other ones where he would, like, you know, put her in the bottle or threaten to put her in the bottle, which shouldn't be possible if she's free. And it it has this undertone of, like, domestic violence. Yeah. Um, And the fact that, like, she calls him master. And he very easily could tell her, stop doing that. He actually does in this episode. (laughs) He does say in this episode, stop calling me that. And she doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. She just wants this SM dynamic. And he's like, that's too much responsibility. (laughs) I, I'm, I, we, I, I, Don't give me this kind of authority. We brought you on here because, like, there is a very Dom sub like dynamic going on there, but I don't she's know which like, one is which. Yeah, she, well, I mean, she's she's like bratty sub, which is its own thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very much like she's got yeah. So if she's a sexy baby and she's she's yeah, she's a bratty sub. That's a hundred percent what she wants to be, and he's like ill prepared to be her her Dom because yeah. he's just like, no, I want to build rockets <laughs> and like wear this outfit all the time even though it's inappropriate to be wearing this yeah i'm I'm wearing my uniform in my living room yeah there's a lot of weird adolescent stuff like at varying times they both behave like they're 12 Mm -hmm. in almost like a way that feels extremely deliberate and kind Uh of like part of it part of like the overall weird fantasy of this yeah it's like so again to go back to the idea of this show being 
sort of a reaction to feminism, it feels like if Hugh Hefner like ran a sitcom in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because it's like it is very adolescent in its aims and, and what is attractive. Because yeah. it's you know, like that was sort of Playboy's whole aesthetic is like what if you could be fourteen forever except for you're a man somehow, you know? Yeah. Including giving him the coolest job in the world. He's an astronaut. Yeah. <laughs> Which I actually, it's funny, I don't think it's a very fun-sounding job. It's, like, mostly doing math and, like, you can never poop comfortably. And, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? but, but That's, like, that... 80% of the job yeah. is not being able to shit comfortably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I heard that, like, Jeannie was supposedly free, I, I just, it has a whole vague of, this will shut them feminists up, mm. like, about it. Like, and I'm sure that they, they forget that because there seems to be a massive overhaul of the show between season one and season two because they weren't planning on us doing this shit. Yeah. Well, honestly, it kind of strikes me as, like, an especially juvenile romantic fantasy because it's, like, that old thing of, like, I'll do something so cool and generous and heroic that, that she'll fall in love with me. Like, oh, yeah. It just takes one single great action, uh, and suddenly she's devoted to me entirely. She is so thirsty for him inexplicably. She's so horny. Like, yeah. he, like Larry Hagman actually wasn't bad, but he's not like, I don't know, of of the people at that time, I don't know that he was necessarily like the most attractive man in the world. And as I was watching this, I was discussing it with my partner and we we're like, do they fuck? Like, they've got to fuck, right? That's She's so question. thirsty. We don't know. She just is constantly like rubbing on him and like trying mm. to kiss him and stuff. But it's like, also, it seems like don't like what is happening <laughs> he gets no, I, I think this settles it because we've been trying we've been debating this i've gotten in like three arguments at this point about <laughs> i am staunchly in the camp of they are fucking it's a non-committal sexual relationship it, she just is so insistent i feel like it would have to happen listen, be like, all right fine you can he, blow me listen <laughs> <to this. laughs> I guess. <laughs> Listeners of the show have heard me say this a couple of times. It is one of those deals where it's like, we're hooking up, but we haven't officially had the conversation that says that we're, like, official. So it's still cool for me to go hook up with other girls, right? Right, 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 right. Which is why, it's that like, for he, five years. Yeah, because it's, I mean, that was another thing I was reading about is that, like, for a long time, he continues to, like, date other people. Yes. Yeah. And she's clearly uncomfortable with it. And it's like, so it's it's one of those things where it's like it's it's not really poly, it's just coercive. Yeah. <laughs> like, because because this is a sexy baby who has not seen a human relationship yeah. in I mean at, at this point in the episode we watch, it seems like she hasn't seen other people. Yeah, it seems like she's been trapped in literally in the house. And in the when house. they when they go out to dinner in this episode, she says it's the first time he's ever taken her out. And earlier in that episode, she's like, it would be a nice night to walk on the beach. And he's like, you should do that. <laughs> so it seems like she can move about freely. She just, like, wants to be with him and wants to go out. And he's, like, hiding her, yeah. basically. Well, I, I, I mean, I think them hiding Jeannie is, uh, is a regular occurrence. Not necessarily because, you know, a woman must stay in the house. But because, yeah, you use your magic all the time and... If if people understand, she's like ET. Yeah, if, if people see, they'll they, take you away. They'll, like, they'll you. take you away. And and honestly, I'm in the military. We will probably bomb Genie Topia for, <laughs> for your magic. Like, yeah. It's giving them an in fiction reason for her to not be allowed to leave the house and be like kept. Like it, it's basically giving an in fiction reason for why he has to lock her in his home and why she can never meet anybody that's not him. Which, which again falls apart very quickly. Um, I was really surprised. Uh, really surprised in this episode we only see tony's best friend roger for like one scene and he has no idea who genie is 
and like his role gets better because like he becomes like the fun uncle who is completely in on the uh, on the joke, and so everything I've seen so far indicates that Roger's completely in on it and he's he's down with it, uh, and that's a fun dynamic. And in this episode, there's no joke. Is he's he the just... one that's always like making rapey jokes though? Mm, he's uh... the. <laughs> We haven't hit any that were explicitly rapey, skeevy consistently. Okay. Okay. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. like, why don't you conjure up some bikini girls? Like, that kind okay. of stuff. But okay. nothing that bad. That okay. we, I'm sure it's in there. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, nothing okay. we've found so far. Okay. Let's go ahead and explain scene. So that's, that's just the backstory they give us, which is completely inconsistent with everything else we've seen. But whatever. Uh, <laughs> so we're, we're up in, like, we're in the living room. And they were really big on the special effects on this one. Jeannie's yeah. bottle starts floating on its own, starts floating up the stairs, uh, and it's up in Tony's like attic room where he's making a model rocket, which... Because he's an adult man. Yeah. I, I can't tell if that's adorable or weird that he's making a model of the rocket that he's going to fly in. Yeah, well, yeah. Weird. It's weird, man. It's, it's a little of both because, like, I live with someone who has small Godzillas, you know. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it, the problem isn't that he's making a model, whatever. I can't judge anything. It's that he's making a model of the thing he <laughs> yeah. for work. But if you made, like, a model of your own, like, car. It's yeah. like if he was making a model of this room that we're sitting in right now. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah. if, if I had a model of our podcast studio on the desk, would you think that was cute? <laughs> like Maybe. a little diorama? Yeah. I kind of think it'd be cute. It's a little Billy on the Lego street. Dan. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ever fucking make Legos of me. <laughs> I'm going to make a Lego of you and you fucking know it. We'll file a cease and desist. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so so Jeannie's up there. Uh, she's really – she doesn't give a shit about this model. Uh, she's like, hey, do you want dinner? Do you want to make out? Do you want – what? <laughs> Can we do something? And Dan, you have a note that she does call him hot, like uh, – Well, first she sa- she offers him dinner. She materializes a cake, and he's like, that will make me fat. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Show is problematic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That shaming Tony. Uh, and then he specifically says, like, I don't like being fussed over. Don't call me master. Mm. And she, he's, he says, it, it makes me feel like some fat caliphate. So that is, like, kind of a point in his corner of um, not being a bastard. Like, he does kind of start off okay of, like... And and this comes... We've made fun of him for it. This comes up a lot of times. It's like, he's the one guy on the planet who doesn't want to use the powers of a genie for genie powers. Like, she's given him money before, and he's been like, no, I don't want that. I want to earn my money. I'm an American man. As far as we can tell, the only use he likes for her powers is to have big dinners. That <laughs> yeah. is, the beginning and end of his desires is, like... I want extravagant dinners and literally nothing else. Well, because again, I mean, like, not to go immediately meta, but I'm going to. Go for it. This whole show uh, and then this episode, again, encapsulates this, this, the the challenge that mainstream American men were having with feminism, which is on one hand, there is actually something really powerfully compelling about the idea of women being empowered. And in this episode, she has a job for approximately two Mm. seconds. And there is something appealing about a partner who... Who is capable and able to 
provide uh, incredible cool things for you. But at the same time, it's also super challenging because, like, he can't keep up. And so, yeah, if she were to provide him a bunch of money, what would happen to him is what they were sort of predicting would happen to our culture now, which is that there's an entire generation of men who feel deeply uh, unclear on what their role is if they're if they're partnered with a woman who has a career that is more lucrative than their own. Mm -hmm. And like, where do I draw my sense of self and where do I feel powerful and good? And and what am I bringing to the table? It was literally predicting the challenge that Mm -hmm. would come forward when if women are allowed to participate equally economically, what will they need men for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in this case, like she there's no clear reason why she's drawn to this. But I mean, it's sort of it's it's a parody of feminism because it keeps making fun of it. Like all of the points in this episode that I just kept being like, this is representing feminism the way that like MRAs represent feminism yeah. over and over and over again. It's like completely misrepresenting it and misrepresenting the way that like things actually go and the way women actually respond to things. But at the same time, it the the fear is very real that like undercurrent of like what will happen to men if we if we let this go because there is that ambivalence that you know like dual income would be cool yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like that's kind of it's very much speak i when i first watched it i thought it was speaking to like someone through genie and saying like hey you might want to try feminism but don't but it's <laughs> actually it's actually like it's not it's not doing like the psa to genie like feminism not even once <laughs> um, this is your brain on feminism <laughs> it's more doing like to the tony character where it's like listen Having your uh, your significant other be feminist can sound pretty cool. Like, he does get enticed, like, oh, wow, she's dressing nice, and she's kind of, like, fun and challenging, and she might make me money. And then it's suddenly saying, like, but don't do it. There are too many variables. Well, <laughs> let's, let's, let's do this. Let's explain this a little bit more, because Tony likes some manners of feminism, mostly just the part where she buys a dress for herself. Yeah. But he doesn't like any of the stuff where, like, he has to fold his own clothes. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't like that shit at all. Back in, in Tony's attic, she's, like, bugging him and want to, wants to spend some time. She does that line where um, she, you said, where she looks out at the moon and says, wouldn't it be a wonderful night to go walk on the beach? And he's like, yeah, go do that. She is throwing herself at him, and he is not interested at all. He just wants to build his little rocket. And he finishes it. She does speak in... What I'm assuming is fake Arabic. It might be actual Arabic. There's no way it's real Arabic because it was just throat shrieking. It was, it was like the noise that is like she did. There were no consonants or vowels. It was just. I'm gonna give like, you a chance to walk it back just on the off chance that one of our listeners does speak Arabic and doesn't look at this. And... Delete this entire thing. Because <laughs> you're going to look like such a dick. I'm going to look like an absolute bastard. Yeah. I am skeptical that it was real Arabic because I don't think they put in nearly the amount of effort. Fair point. Fair yeah. point. And then uh, Jeannie being like a little petty, a little like dickish that this model's getting more attention than she is, uh, magically makes the model rocket blast off and launch out the window, which is what model rockets do. She magically made the thing do the thing that it was intended to do, but whatever. And then we then we close, and we get an actual opening joke. <laughs> we, every episode that we've seen so far, I've not seen, like, an opening gag has just gone straight into the episode. I was happy about that. Saturday night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One thing I really liked about this episode is that the laugh track usage was all over the map. Yeah. yeah. I was actually, I was like, wait, did I hear laughter? 
And then yeah. I like I, I didn't. And yeah. then I heard it. I was like, wait. There was what? there was what? laugh tracks for things that weren't jokes, and there there were actual <laughs> jokes that didn't have laugh tracks. It was so weird. Like Roger just does like an actual like pun in his first scene where that is just greeted and by only scene. dead silence. <laughs> it's so weird. It's like those um the, those things that people do on YouTube of like we put us we put a laugh track to uh, Arrested Development or we took the laugh track away from Seinfeld and oh, both are man. deeply uncomfortable. Yeah, I I always feel those are a little unfair. Like they like to do it to the Big Bang Theory, but of course it's gonna be awkwardly full of pauses because it was filmed like with the laugh track in mind. Like of course it's gonna be weird when they just kind of sit there quietly because. That's how they made. Yeah. Off on a tangent. Uh, next scene, back at the living room. Next morning, Jeannie's just like chilling out of the couch. She's reading a magazine. Floating magazine. And the magazine is floating <laughs> on like on like fish fishing st- line. It's a pretty cool and, shot. And, 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 yeah, it's it's really cool. Like they have great tech. <laughs> like they just discovered too. wires and they were losing their minds. On a, and this episode seemed to have a lot more of that than the later episode seemed to to be for some reason. The later episodes are just like we built. A giant cup, and it looks like Genie's in a cup now. It's all, <laughs> a lot of forced perspective kind of stuff. Yeah, they get yeah. real into shrinking for some reason. Yeah, probably. That is, that's a, mostly what I remember from my childhood of this show. It's, it's a weird just like fetish. her being little and things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Someone's definitely got a shrinking <laughs> fetish on there. Yeah. Uh, uh, and she she reads this, or, and Tony comes over and asks, "So what are you doing? What are you reading?" And she like like she's doing hooked on phonics. Sounds it out. I'm reading this article. The emancipation of modern woman. What does that mean, man? They they just go out of their way to establish that she is barely literate. <laughs> She's thousands of years old. She can do anything at all. She speaks multiple languages. She apparently hung with Shakespeare. Can't read. No. <laughs> uh, uh, Harper's Bazaar is way beyond her comprehension, though. Yeah, no... Uh, yeah, no. Don't you like it, men, that this sexualized woman talks like an eight-year-old? Like, isn't that your favorite thing? Well, now he can explain stuff to her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's... Which, which he does <laughs> by saying, you don't have to worry about that. He's basically saying, fuck off with this shit. We don't need that around here. Yeah. Fine. He specifically says, you are perfect. You don't need to emancipate yourself in any way. You are exactly perfect as you are. And then critiques everything about her. Which they do do a good job of, like, mm-hmm. lampshading with her saying, like, okay, so besides the way I speak and act and dress, mm-hmm. everything about me is perfect. Which, for me, kind of, I thought set it up, like, oh, maybe this will actually be, like, relatively forward-thinking. Maybe it's going to be about how she does need to read this article because Tony is a piece of shit. <laughs> Which, maybe? It felt like they were thinking about doing that a couple of times. Um, and then pull out at the last second. They're like, no, we can't do that. Well, I don't know. That point that you just made about the, so I'm perfect, except for this, 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 and this, is is the most self-aware thing about it. But the rest yeah. of it is, and the episode just sort of goes off the rails uh, pretty quickly about, like, how she acts. She's super smart. She can make anything happen, but does not understand really basic things. Yeah. Uh, will not understand social cues. Like, she won't understand how, what words you're supposed to say to people and which ones are private. She's not going to understand, like, how credit cards work. And, but she does understand that she should be Mrs. His last name. Like, it's it's weird. Like, she 
implicitly is going to know stuff, but also just it, it implies this sort of I don't know. To me, it seems like she would have to know all this stuff and is just fucking with everybody. Because, like... A, a good theory. A great theory. She's been around for forever. She, by this point, should get basic social cues. And, yeah. And so, like, I can't help but think, and especially given the way they, they treat her in later seasons, where she's, you know, just messing with people all the time, that this is, like, absolutely just punking him. That it's, like, one interpretation that I, like, because, come on. She's, she's, she's not that stupid. She's a trickster god. Yeah. She's yeah. sexy Loki. Yeah. Like, the fact that she nearly causes a riot in a store, which I'm sure we're going to talk about later. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Just for her own entertainment. And then she turns into, like, just, like, a terrible bachelorette party attendee later. It's, like, I don't know. I, it's weird. I like that theory that, like... Everything we've seen, like her entire persona, is just complete a complete ruse. Like she is basically a god that is just holding She's Tony Loki. in her hand. Yeah, <laughs> I fucking like that. That like basically like a, a, a completely like meta interpretation of like the entire show you're watching is a lie. Jeannie is doing this for your amusement. Like she could go anywhere. She could do anything. She stays with this guy. Why? Just because it's well, like yeah. because it's the first guy that that she saw in two thousand years, supposedly. <laughs> yeah. But apparently she also had time to hang out with Shakespeare yeah. like seven, 400 years ago? It, it doesn't make any sense. No. She <laughs> imprinted on him as a result. She's a duck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so Tony leaves. He goes to work. Uh, and she continues to read the article. It's like, are you a loser in the battle of the sexes? And, like, the whole article she's like, it reads is just, like, challenging. Like, the air. It kind of, like, list describes Tony to a T. And so she starts learning, like, okay, I need to do these things. I need to learn to be independent and self-reliant and unpredictable. I think that's kind of the weird thing is, like, you'd expect in something like this for the emancipation of women to just be, like, gross misrepresentations of what this would actually be. And instead, it's actually, like, valid criticisms, like, men don't respect you. They're uh, – specifically, it says – um uh, they have masculine arrogance. They take advantage of you. They don't respect you. If it, anything, it was like m- the fictional magazine in this episode seems more progressive than moder- than women's magazines at the time, which were basically just like, watch your waistline and here's some advice on how to clean with toothpaste. Well, I mean, it sort of depends because it's like it, at this point it was like, what, 1965? Like the National Organization for Women existed at this point. Like in, this, in the run of this show, people were discussing the Equal Rights Amendment. It's, and this is just the sort of vestiges of of like these very mainstream like tv and like you know there's super regressive things that you could see in cosmo just a few years ago and they've actually only been dragged into the 21st century since helen Gurley brown died quite frankly but um this is yeah this is again why this stands in contrast to bewitched because like there were better representations at the time and there were plenty of super radical progressive things at this at this point and this is acting like almost it was 10 or 15 years earlier. Yeah. Well, something oh, we've which noticed. Which makes it fit in perfectly with the Andy Griffith show. Yeah. Partners. Yeah. Partners in crime. Yeah. Something we've actually noticed when we watch the later seasons is they've ba- they're basically completely disregarding the original premise, and it has gone from sort of being like a, oh, who has the power in a relationship to basically like a dom-sub relationship where Jeannie is 100% the dom mm-hmm. and, Tony, and has like... <laughs> absolute crushing power over Tony to the point that he like sneaks around and hides stuff so that he can just like evade her wrath. So it's almost like (laughs) it it, it goes so hard in the other direction. It goes so abusive in the other direction. By like season four, he is 
terrified of her, as he should be, because his girlfriend is a fucking demigod. Well, yeah. uh, this is sort of a 90-degree turn, but one of the areas that I have, have studied is how uh, horror movies uh, represent the changing cultural norms around sexuality of the time when they come out. And so my areas of expertise are like from like late 19th century up to now, so I can't really speak to it before that, but around this time is when you're going to see stuff like, you know, the 50-foot tall woman um you're gonna see a bunch of other like giant things because it's also fear of nuclear war which is still very you know sure yeah. you know very much at the forefront at that point so you're gonna see these giant things in the godzillas and the the blob and all of these like the impacts of of nuclearization but also the 50 foot woman is just literally the fear and appeal of feminism at the same time like she's super big you could look up her skirt and it's so attractive that she's a a giant again this Mm -hmm. is a huge fetish but at the same time it's also like the terror of empowered women and like they're irrational they're giant you know babies they can't control themselves they're super emotional and so this would be a terrifying thing for me and for the world and so yeah it just it feels like although that's it's supposed to be empowering or whatever it, it it just feels like written by someone who doesn't actually like women. (laughs) I mean, a a lot of these episodes do kind of have the beats of a horror movie. Like, you can kind of hear the Jaws theme as, like, she's (laughs) deciding to do things. Like, there's one episode we did where he um, pretends to go to bed early. He changes the clock so she thinks it's later than it is. And then he sneaks out his bedroom window to, like, drive somewhere. Not because, like, he's going to try to have an affair or thing, but just because he needs to talk to somebody. And he's afraid that she's going to, like, oh. destroy things. So he is, like, it does sort of feel like a like it's structured like a horror movie at times, which kind of lines up perfectly with that. I mean, if he ever did actually piss her off, I mean, she could, like, you know, vaporize him if she wanted to. Yeah. She shoves him into the bedroom in this episode. Like, in this episode, he says something that irritates her, and so she just, like, sh- like using her magic push just makes him, like, fly into the into the other room and this is gonna jump super ahead to the later episode but there's this dancer at the restaurant i'm like did he did she just kill her that woman (laughs) is dead that woman that woman is dancing at like six times speed indefinitely all right (laughs) dance herself to death let me move us to the next scene so we can get to the dancing chaos god chaos god yeah all right so the next the next scene is Tony at work, and this scene goes on forever doing nothing, but I'm just, I'm gonna sound an alarm because Tony is actually doing astronaut shit. This show apparently does understand what astronauts do. He's like hanging out in a space capsule, they're doing some test stuff, and they're just space shit. How's your, how's your space shit? My space shit's doing great. Yeah, good. How's your, how's your other space shit? That's going good. This goes on for three minutes. It feels like they consulted with actual NASA and were like, so what's an astronaut's job? And they're like, this. And they're like, okay, let's see if we can make that interesting. We can't make that interesting. We can't at all. They, astronauts do science experiments now. They fly jets. Let's say that because we, we did this and it was horrible. So yeah, this is, this is the entire scene. It's just like, Tony hanging out while he talks to Roger and Dr. Bellows, two people who will become major characters at some point, but in this serve no purpose other than just to talk to Tony. Uh, He comes down. Dr. Bellows, who is the lead antagonist of the entire show, says, did you have a good day? Are you hungry? Okay, I'll see you later. (laughs) And he leaves. The main antagonist of the show, ladies and gentlemen. The guy who's in everyone's way. There he goes. It was and probably then, just an extra at this point. And then, and then Roger, uh, the third lead at this point, 
They discuss dinner. Tony's best friend just says, so what are you doing for dinner? You want to hang out? And Tony says, no, I'm, I'm cooking dinner or I've got dinner for me at home. And Rogers, An end of important information blah, blah, that's blah, worth blah, blah, talking blah. about. Yeah, no, they no. just discuss whether or not there is a dinner happening. Move, yeah, that's it. This entire scene yeah, is useless. I, I'm going to be honest that like you recapping it, I'm like, man, I don't even remember any of this because I must have just zoned out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is quite literally white noise. This scene is just like, it takes place in like a garage with like a white background. Just reiterate that he has a job, yeah, maybe. I feel it. like is the point of it. Yeah. That's it. They could have just done a shot of the NASA building and they just said, like, Tony works, and then cut to the next scene. Because there is negative information. Like, like, Roger's like, hey, is there going to be more episode after this? And Tony is like, yeah, there is. Next thing. Not for you. Yeah. (laughs) Not for you, son. Get out. Okay, so Tony goes home and he starts... This whole scene is just to fulfill a contract. I am putting you in a headlock and dragging you out of this scene. (laughs) Uh, Tony goes to the house, which is empty. He's walking around looking for Jeannie. It's not just empty. It's messy. His, like, bed isn't made. His, like, clothes haven't been folded, which are really the only two things I saw that were, like... Different, but he's wandering around going, what the hell? What is wrong with this? Yeah. Um, it's like that scene in Pleasantville where he's like, where's my dinner? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and there is no dinner. Jeannie is nowhere. And then she comes downstairs. She's got her hair in curlers and it is in a bathrobe uh, because she's dressed like the next door neighbor who is, I guess, the second human being that Jeannie's ever seen. <laughs> uh, yeah, the joke was that like she looked at a frumpy lady and started dressing like her. Um, and then is like emulating her behavior. She didn't. She refused to do the housework. He gets pissy at her. She refuses to cook. He gets pissy at her. She, there was actually kind of a nice back and forth where she's like, "Here, I got you a gift," and just materializes a broom in his hand. Yeah, yeah. She's like, "Okay, so according to this magazine, if I want to be an emancipated woman, we should share the housework." You know, and says, okay, there you go. Enjoy cleaning." And he says, "Like, I can't do that. I have a job. I come home from a long day." I, I can't do housework, which my question that would be like, what did you do before you had a genie? Like That is a good question. You you survived, I'm assuming, alone for years. Because he had said he hires a girl to come in or whatever. I think that was his excuse. Remember? Yeah. yeah. He he told Roger that he hired a girl to come and cook for him, and Roger was like I have that girl. Ha! We're back in that scene. Damn it! I won't let you go. I'm gonna hold us indefinitely in the most boring, useless scene in this episode. Okay, they do have a conversation where he says, "Like, like I'm gonna eat at home," and he's like, "How are you managing that, bachelor? (laughs) You're only a rocket scientist." What are you do using some kind of food magic? (laughs) Like their kitchens are fucking decorative. How can you, a man? create food yeah. how how does that you're supposed to live on beans yeah. like you go to a restaurant every single night because you are a single man yeah all right we're out of it now yeah. so they're arguing about uh, uh about whether or not she should be cleaning the house the doorbell rings. There's a very uncomfortable scene where, like, she tries to answer. The only the person of color. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the uncomfortable thing. <laughs> the uncomfortable thing is that he physically restrains her from getting to the door. And and then the only person of color in the show shows up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of sketchy because she's like, oh, I want to answer the door. And he, like, slams his full body into it and then opens it for her. And there's uh, a delivery person in, like, 
a bellboy outfit for some yeah, reason. It very much looks like he yeah. wears it on and, <laughs> and he's delivering stuff for Mrs. Nelson. Mm-hmm. Tony gets real angry. Mrs. Nelson, what? Are you, I can't believe it. And he does this thing, but he's yelling about it. You should bring all this stuff back to the store. But this, I think, indicates more of the like we're doing a scene. This is a dom sub thing because he's yelling about it. He's throwing a fit while he's signing for it. <laughs> <laughs> he still takes the pen and signs for it. Like I can't have this here. <laughs> There's a real simple way you could get rid of that, my man. And you just screwed that part up. It's like that fetish where you give someone access to your Amazon account. Yeah, no. Oh, yeah, Findom. Yeah. Is that fem? Yeah, Findom. Findom. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it almost seems that way. Like at this, so Tony's yelling uh, at her, but she's got a bunch of these new clothes. And then she, like, this is my favorite part. She opens up the box manually, shows the dress, (laughs) and then magically poofs the dress onto her. Which feels like she could have done that before. She could have also just not ordered. the dress? She could have just created the dress. You just created a cake. You can create a cake out of thin air. Why not a dress? She can create and destroy matter at will. Why is... I guess she's, like, buying it to make a point. Yeah, Yeah, because she's she's talking about credit cards. She's buying it. Which is actually a really interesting point because credit cards are an interesting uh, artifact at that point because it wasn't until the mid 80s that a married woman could open a credit card account without her husband's approval Mm -hmm. so at this point like that is actually a logistics question that i had like she she called herself mrs nelson so she could get this credit card she must have forged his signature magically forged in order to get this line of credit or it's not a felony if you use magic timory but it's also like she has no forms of identification like it's like what is you know also later on she doesn't know how banks work so it's really weird that she can understand a line of credit but then in two years she's like what is a bank i'm going to submit that she created a magical clone of tony had him sign and then killed him on the spot i think given what we've seen on the show that's the most realistic course of action that's fair that seems fair yeah Um, so so she she puts the dress on and it's a nice dress she looks pretty good but he's like oh yeah it's more clothing than she normally wears yeah Yeah. she She goes from a bare midriff to like i don't know we gotta go to a gala after this and And he becomes debilitatingly horny (laughs) like his nervous system shuts down from how aroused he is i mean there is something to that as a person who dresses quite horish all the time, it's funny. I've had partners who actually, like, were like, oh, wow, look at you in jeans. Because <laughs> I, like, don't normally, like, I'll wear jeans once every, like, two or three years. And then they'll be like, oh, wow. And it's just, like, the novelty. It's like, oh, I got a different one, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, like, completely retrains your brain on what to expect. Yeah, because, like, I walk around in very little most of the time. And so there's, like, not really any sort of mystery. And then it's like, oh, <gasps> You're entirely covered up. <laughs> Ooh, it's so sexy. <laughs> so, so and and then so he's like debilitatingly horny, and she feeds that because then she like on screen kiss just a full on makeout, which again confused me because I was like, you guys don't do that. Why are you doing that now, but not later? Do you guys break up? I what the fuck ever, mm-hmm. whatever. And then. She describes, like, let's have some dinner. Let's have a really big dinner with filet mignon and... Baked Alaska and and fresh asparagus, which is something... Why were they so horny for baked Alaska in the 60s? Was it new? I... That was an entire plot point in the Andy Griffith show. I don't know. They had a whole thing with fondue in the 70s. Like, people just go through it. 
Yeah. Which I attribute mostly to the movie Night Moves. Okay. Yeah. So then Tony asks, all right, are you going to conjure that up? Are you going to make the dinner happen? Which, again, should be – bear in mind, she needs to do no work for this. She doesn't need to go cook this dinner. She just needs to blink. Well, okay, and, so – And she's like, no, you're going to do it with your credit card. Do they ever explain how much work it is for her to materialize things? Because I'm always wondering if it's like, does it actually – is it, you know, like it burns like 2,000 calories to like – make a coffee appear like like, like she has mana points yeah Yeah, like how does this work is it like a lot of emotional labor like what like what does it cost her does she have like a yeah is it a perpetually refilling thing does she have to go meditate does she like murder people and take their souls in order to like how does she power like Every time she does it, her lifespan shortens by oh, a God. little bit. Like, oh, well, I guess she has forever. Yeah, so. oh. I, I, it's got to be like something like that because she does seem to be exhibiting like some scarcity on how she does this. We have collectively put more thought into this over the past couple of weeks <laughs> than the writers of the show did in six years. <laughs> Literally <laughs> every script, every word of every script of this show was written while slightly day drunk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, th- so they do this bit. They do have what I'm going to call the women be shopping scene. The next step is they're at a fancy restaurant. So they actually kind of do a thing with the dinner thing that is weird where they they sort of do that like feminist scene where it's like I want a big like let's have a big dinner and then she's like, "Well, you should cook it." And he and instead of it being like an actual argument about who should cook dinner, he's just like but you're magic. And I think they keep using the magic thing to like diffuse these moments of like legit conflict where they're like, she like, you should buy me clothes. Because and and it, because it, it diffuses any feminist point you could make when it requires literally no effort on the woman's part to do this work. Yeah, she probably should be doing that work because it's a genie master thing. It's the, like a ripcord they pull whenever they have to think about power dynamics. The basic premise of I Dream a Genie is almost antithetical to having any kind of pro or fem- or anti-feminist leaning, simply because, like, it all becomes moot when you realize this woman can literally do anything and just chooses not. I mean, it's sort of an interesting metaphor for the way that we do approach, like, domestic labor, though. It just, like, a lot of people think that it it is effortless because they see it done uh and they don't see necessarily the labor that goes into it like there's a um there's a thing i saw on twitter one time that just has stuck with me there was this couple moving out of their house they lived there for a long time and as they're leaving the husband turns to the wife and goes it was so amazing that soap dispenser they had one that was like installed it built, just in, soap built in yeah and he goes we never had to refill it and the wife was tweeting this and she was like and i just let him have that like i just <laughs> did not correct him and it was it just stuck with me because it's like one of those things is like all those invisible household tasks like i can think of the ones in my you know in my own life but i have partners who are, are super helpful normally but there's a ton of those things where people just like never notice that the toilet over paper always gets replaced and like that somebody always buys more whatever and and i think that there is certainly a degree of like people not realizing how much domestic labor is exhausting Mm -hmm. and repetitive and like you know all that kind of stuff so it's it's sort of like that metaphor for how people are not really appreciating the work that goes into it but the metaphor doesn't work Mm -hmm. because it there's no effort on genie's part but again we don't know we don't know do you think that that's intentional in this? Because that is like that lines up really neatly to like. Well, if you're if you're coming from this like you know old school 
idea of like gendered labor it's like it's not difficult for women because they're women right to yeah. cook and to clean and to fix clothes and stuff like it's not difficult because you're a woman and then there's that like learned helplessness other side of it where uh, a, a guy coming from that vantage would be like oh i'm no good at cleaning <laughs> and it makes me think of like when a bj from the office he's like oh i would just make it worse you know just so he never mm. has to do stuff even though he's the intern mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. it's that it's that sort of like oh but women are good at this because of their small hands you know like whatever <laughs> and it's like actually no it's just like every other skill you either like you bother to learn how to do it or you don't and if you haven't put any time into it you're probably gonna be a little bit confused yeah but if you're a reasonably smart adult i don't know like a fucking rocket scientist you could probably figure <laughs> it out <laughs> so they go out to dinner this is a very roundabout way of Jeannie just getting him to take her to dinner. Yeah. That was yeah. it. You honestly. never That's take why... me anywhere. Yeah. She <laughs> says, this is the first time you've taken me out. Then quite literally meaning, this is the first time I've been out of the house. Yeah. I just went from one bottle to a like a two-bedroom bottle. Well, there, there is a, a line that is like a little bit sinister where she um, she order, she's talking about the magazine and he specifically says, a little knowledge can be a dangerous thing, mm. which feels very dark. Yeah, there's a there's a couple of bits in there. Like Tony tries to order for both of them, and she says, "Nope, I'm gonna order what I want, which is fish, and I'm gonna order champagne because my book says that an expensive woman is a popular woman." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which oh, I was like, "Wow, yeah, what the okay, f- sex work." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of kind of weird that like all of these lessons she's learning about gender power dynamics mostly manifest in materialism. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, like that's that's primarily the outlet for it. This is also the part where she mentions having met Marco Polo. She mentions Mar- yeah. she mentions that she's met Marco Polo uh, and like hung out with him with her old master. Which I'm going to say this might be the first time in their history together that Tony has asked about her past. Oh. Tony has asked a personal question about her. In this case, it was, "Did you really meet Marco Polo? What? <laughs> what?" And then yeah, he has like no interest in this time traveling like supernatural has, being he, for a scientist. He has yeah. no interest in her. Yeah. He does not give a shit. Like he can just ask her like so all of the vast knowledge that's been lost throughout history through the burning of great libraries. Can you just like run me through any of that? You are a fount of unparalleled knowledge. Oh, she can't read though. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's not into it because I think he might be, I don't know, into brunettes, like the one we're about to see. Um, oh, so God. That, that's the, the, the entertainment for the night is a belly dancer comes out, says she's going to do a harem dance, and Jeannie gets super hyped, like, yeah, I used to do those. And then this woman dances for eight minutes, <laughs> not particularly well. I had such a fascinating reaction to her because at first I see this woman and she's basically wearing the exact same sort of attire that Jeannie normally wears anyway. Yeah. And I was like immediately curious, I, who is this actress in real life? Is she an actress who was like just cast to do this role or is she like a burlesque performer? Because by the standards of, you know, like TV at that time, it could have really gone either way. And then she starts belly dancing air quotes yeah. and i was like oh she's a garbage trash belly dancer but she probably actually was a burlesque performer based on just like her vibe because the way burlesque was at that point was not really good dancing <laughs> dbh if you're like go watch old burlesque they're not very good movers it's just the fact that like they're they have this like energy and this vibe and it's very much about 
uh, transitioning from an era of like coochie coochie dance and like still photography to video being the prevailing way that people consume their uh, their porn yeah. and and in the history of burlesque at that point it it was actually a really interesting uh, time of transition because you could start watching stag films at home with the guys as opposed to having to either go to a live show or having you know just pictures and she was uh, a very bad belly dancer but she was hot as hell and uh i was just like man she's real bad i bet she was a real performer <laughs> I don't know she I... sucks at this so hard she must do a professional yeah honestly i i don't know if i would even call it her doing belly dancing she did oh, no. like she moved it's her not. body she... as if she was about to do belly yeah. dancing and then just kind of didn't because again she they don't know slightly they don't know any actual middle eastern people and like yeah i've seen a lot of belly dance in my day yeah. And uh, no, that's not even close to what that was. But what it does do is it works for Tony. Because yeah. he turns into like a Tex Avery style, like, oh, God, the eyes bulge out. And he's like. He's like drumming he, on the table. He's, he's, he's like playing with his spoons because he's so horny. <laughs> he's like. His face was fully pornographic. If I, like, like it's it might be the most pornographic thing I've ever seen on a TV show, including myself <laughs> today, because he's like sweating and like breathing heavily, and his like eyes are fully bugged out, and this he's like bobbing his head. Is it's one of the horniest episodes of television I've <laughs> ever seen. <laughs> Jeannie sees, I mean, her date, basically. She responds like how you would if your date was just, like, getting abnormally horny at this entertainment. And uh, and she gets, starts to get a little jealous. Like, hey, you should be kind of paying a little attention to me. She's you know starts to disparage this other woman, says that her dancing is trash, which it is. Says so she looks like a dog trying to scratch fleas. Yeah. And, and then she kind of, which, yeah. And then she, uh, like, says, I'm going to show you how it's done. She gets up. She moves her arms slightly, and then Tony drags her off. The major D comes in and, you know, insists that they pay their bill, which was $64. I did the math. It is $522 in 2019 dollars. Wow. So I... I can't imagine a single way you could spend $500 on a dinner. Date. Well, he said like, there was like a an amusements tax. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so like you're paying for the show. Mm. That's like, how we were not amused. <laughs> and I'm <Yeah>. like, Ooh. <laughs> uh, you, What's occurring to me is there was 100% a conversation with the censors where they were like, how much gyration can we show mm, in this mm-hmm. scene? And they yeah. were like, they held out a, a ruler or something. It was like. The maximum. Yeah. They got yeah. the maximum gyrate Because she second. does. Light stripping. I mean, not not real real, but she comes out with like a whole shawl that she yeah. removes, and it's and it's like technically stripping. Yeah, um, there was a sensor that... on the set with like a shut it down <laughs> button, just like their hand hovering over it. I did notice that even Jeannie's wearing more of a shawl in this than she is in the later episodes. Like she's at least got some like taffeta like wrapped around her that like isn't there in later where you can actually just see her arms and her skin. I mean, but you... not the belly button. Yeah, talk about that. Never the belly no belly button. button. Yeah, you guys did point out that like even though you think that you're seeing Jeannie's belly button just from like the outfit, you're never actually. They put a big thing over the belly dancer's belly button, like they like a giant just like start like they really can't show a navel on this. Yeah. They're yeah. really weird. That's it. They walk out. But before they do, Jeannie gets her revenge on this poor woman <laughs> who did nothing. <laughs> she did her goddamn job. <laughs> Comes back in and speeds her up. So now she's dancing at like three times faster than the normal rate. Like her body's just going <laughs> like like a flight of the bumblebees playing essentially. 
And then they leave. She have, doesn't blink her back. Like, that woman's going to die. Yeah, literally. And I, would, I was thinking that whole time, like, that is such a resonating irksomeness for me as a person who uh, has worked as a go-go in a long time. And I was like, oh, God, this bitch just got up on stage. Because that's, like, an actual problem in my in my work when I'm doing that sort of thing. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, honey, just don't. And because that, that is a real ass issue to this day where if you are a femme and you are performing in some capacity as a dancer, as a go-go, as a backup dancer, whatever, there is always uh, this undercurrent of like women have been raised for so long to find each other as competition for attention. And we're finally, I think, getting more to a place where we can recognize like, yes, like this girl can enjoy herself and be good at this thing and be, you know, like celebrated for this thing. And it doesn't take anything away from me. But like that scene where Jeannie is just like this unhinged, jealous, real dumb bitch at a bachelorette party <laughs> where she's just like, oh, I could be a go-go dancer. It's like, not for three hours. You couldn't like, yeah, you could get up on stage drunkly and then fall off. Yeah, everybody could. Yeah. And it's just like that whole scene was very much she's this this like brat and they're presenting uh, yeah, sure, they all want to be feminists, but they're actually really, like, catty, and they're mm. all super, like, they'll tear each other apart for male attention, which is, again, why I think this whole thing is presented as, like, how an MRA sees feminism, yeah. mm-hmm. which is, like, no, what you're seeing are, like, artifacts of patriarchy where women, like, will live or die whether or not they can get married <laughs> to yeah. someone who has money. And so, yeah, there's there's hundreds of years of women being pitted against each other for survival that, like, feminism can release you from that because you'll be able to make your own and you won't need some dude and then you won't have to fight other women. In fact, you can join forces with them. And, like, that scene, that that perfect scene was, was just, like, this is literally uh, a scapegoat version of feminism. And as, like, a nightmare cherry on top, the the, the killing that she does yeah, where she, yeah. she, she liquefies that woman's bones. Uh, <laughs> that's, like, they were furious at each other. Like, he was like, you cost me a shitload of money, and she was like, you were gawking another woman. And then she speeds her up, 100, again, killing her probably. <laughs> and then they're like, ha we're not mad at each other again. <laughs> High five. Yeah. And then they go home giggling and they're and like. They giggle about what, what she yeah. did to that poor it's, woman. It's a dead sex worker joke. They're yeah. like, they've been around for forever. Yeah. And like, uh, like, even Tony explicitly says when they're walking in the door, like, ha that poor woman. She didn't deserve that. <laughs> in the interest of time, I want to skip the, like, next little bit. All you got to know is that Tony and Jeannie are arguing. I want to skip right to the part where. Jeannie gets a job because she thinks that'll make her an independent woman. So she finds a job ad in the newspaper that says that she doesn't need to have any experience and she can be like a demo person at like the appliance store at Sears or whatever. So she goes to the store. She's working there and she's working demonstrating stoves. She greets some people we mentioned earlier with Allah be with you, Mm. blowing all of our minds. She tries to sell some women on an oven, and the women aren't buying it. And then she flat out says, but if you do not buy it, I will not get commission. Uh, And then as they're trying to go, she claims, wait a minute, this stove will cook instantly. She pulls, you wrote ham, Dan. It looks like a very oddly square turkey out of a fridge. She does some magic stuff, instantly cooks some things, and makes some claims that the stove cannot do. Tony shows up to stop her. uh, It it goes in just as a normal piece of... Like ham, ham? Uh, and comes out fully cooked with pineapple yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these women are apparently extremely gullible because they're just like, 
it really does cook everything. It can make an entire cake out of nothing, except for one woman who's like, this yeah, this is, is bullshit. Fraud. Yeah. This, yeah. And, and all it takes is that one woman to yell, this is a fraud, to just start a riot. Well, okay, so the good on that woman for realizing that, no, there's no such thing as an oven that can create infinite material. But, like, so she does say, like, I want devil's fruit cake with a chocolate glaze right now. And Jeannie's like, here it is. And she's like, this is a con. What? And she should have been like, this woman can bend reality. Like, <laughs> something terrible is happening here. Call yeah. a newspaper. Yeah, the, the jump to, like, you are a liar, which is, like, I mean, true. But, like, my first thought would then be, like, okay. And then also, like, a bunch of money. And then also, like, yeah. a cure to my grandma's illness. No one thinks <laughs> like, of it. No one, they, they, they go straight to, I saw Goody Proctor in the appliances section. Like... <laughs> Dancing with the devil. Why the is he devil. there also? Yeah, I, why does he show up? Yeah, he had no reason because he's worried about Genie using her magic and everyone learning that Genie's magic, which would be bad somehow. I don't know. Yeah, he uh. he he skulks. He like circles, like watching her very. Like he doesn't interfere, but he's like, this is gonna go bad. And, and then there's and, the line about the commissions, and everyone is like, oh, you're not supposed to say that you get paid at your job. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and then he basically you're like to be selling us stuff out of the goodness of your heart. <laughs> and then he rescues her from the mob by dragging her away. Basically, offers her in a gentleman like. Picks her up and kind of like carries her out. No, she doesn't. He, he's kind of no, like he just drags, drags her, drags her out. Yeah. He just grabs yeah. her by the arm. Uh, uh, the, and that's uh, that. The store owner accuses her of being a plant for a competitor, like to come in and cause trouble to like get his store shut down. Almost gets in like a physical altercation with Tony. It's a very like rough scene. Like there's a lot of like physical violence and like like kind of realistic antagonizing. And, and again. In most television shows, the entire episode would be, Jeannie gets a job. Yeah. Like, in most TV shows, she would have gone and gotten a, a job at the store at the beginning, and that would have been the entire episode, is Jeannie at the store. And then by the end of it, we would learn, like, oh, Jeannie can do things or whatever. There, there would have been... <laughs> I mean, look, I'm pulling a point out of my ass, but my point is there would have been a point for as the, opposed to this, which is just like, okay, we're done now. For the, yeah. for the riot that was happening at the end of this scene, I I wouldn't have been surprised if they'd like turned on a TV and been like, it then took over like seven square blocks, <laughs> cars were flipped, there was looting. Like it, it was like dawn of the fucking dead. Like they, uh, like they treated these women as like finding out that the oven wasn't magic as like an apocalyptic nightmare yeah. scenario. What, what did they think was going to happen? The only thing that's going to happen is that Jeannie gets fired and that's it. Yeah. I, I don't know. These, these women so... were threatening to burn down this Sears. Yeah. Again, like the whole the whole story, it feels like it's written by people who don't like women, and mm -hmm. like that, like none of these characters are remotely relatable, and and dialogue's also super stilted with like, "What do you think, Pauline?" Like very, oh god, very just like anachronistic, and and that's pretty much it. The last scene is them just like recapping everything and Jeannie's like I will never be this good and Tony's like no you you have so much love to give Aww. you have so much affection let's get you a pet and then she summons a lion uh, that's it and, 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 <laughs> and then everyone at home's like there's a real live lion on our TV <laughs> so I like walked away from this like I thought 
the end scene would be Tony basically saying, like, and here's the moral of the story. But instead he's just like, now we have a lion. (laughs) So I'm walking away like, what was the lesson of this? Like, what were you trying? None. You you didn't accomplish what you were were trying to do, but what were you possibly trying to do? Timory, I'm going to ask you the hardest question we've ever asked anyone. What was the point of any of this? I think I think it literally was just them trying to dabble with their own fears. And, like, uh, I don't know anything about these showrunners, so I would just be projecting a lot onto them. But These are names nuts. we've never seen before. Yeah, right? so I think, I mean, I'm also obviously going to view it through my own lens and my own time period. And I think that it's, you know, it's it's sort of them trying to, like, do that. Wouldn't it be silly if... Genie encounters feminism this little trend that's coming around um but yeah from a from a larger takeaway perspective it's just sort of uh i think they they were ambitious in trying to even take on the issue at all and not not pretend that it wasn't happening but at the same time it was only just like to own it you know like to you you know feminists look at them look at the trash that they do just to like you know subtweet somebody um, I, I will say I'm just kind of like scrolling through the Wikipedia page, and these people just disappear. We don't see those those show the director and writer ever again I'm after so season two. Yeah. <laughs> With this kind of work, yeah. Nice. What happened to these vast reservoirs of talent? You, they, How did media survive? They had to have gotten poached by NBC. Yeah, they were yeah. they were busy working on the Three's Company pilot, um, which didn't come on for another ten years. On the way. They had to work on that pilot for a long, yeah. long time. They like were in an underground bunker, like it was the Manhattan Project, like like really just like putting stuff up on whiteboards. Pretends like, he's gay? Question mark. Roommates <laughs> horny? Question mark. Uh, Sounds like the premise for a show that can run for years and years. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's pretty much it. Uh, Timory, do you like I Dream of Genie? Um, it doesn't like you. N- I mean. It's an interesting artifact to look at, and like I think Barbara Eden is is charming. She's about the most likable thing about it. Mm-hmm. She does what she can with the source material, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, like that episode to me, it just felt like going in the wayback machine and just being like, "Yep, don't want to live any time in the past." <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. It's a hard one. I, I think this is going to be probably our last bottle episode. We're going to take a break and then go back to the Andy Griffith show after this. I think mm. this seems like a good one to to leave it on because if we haven't figured it out by now, we're not. We're just not gonna. Um, yeah, no, we've been so fucking all over the map on this. I, I think we tried to crack this and we made negative progress. We uh, we understand the show less. Uh, Timory, please uh, plug what you need to plug and tell all of our audience. Uh, that was a very like. Like brusque way of saying it. Plug what you need to plug. I, 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 I'm trying to be respectful of, of Timber. Put it on my hand. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah. So if you wanna if you wanna know more about my deep thoughts on other subjects, um, so sexwithtimmy.com is my website where I post news and porn and episodes of my podcast, uh, which is also called Sex with Timmy. T I M A R E. You can see the Daryl and Timory Fun Hour DTF on the second Friday of the month at Frankie Bradley's. So I don't know when this will go up, but we're usually the second Friday every month. We've been doing it for six and a half years, which is fuck wild. I also write for Philly Weekly, so I have pieces in there. I have one uh, coming out soon as of this taping that will be about strippers' rights. 
uh, which is uh, a piece I've been working on for quite a while because uh, people aren't necessarily willing to talk to reporters about it. So, yeah, that's that's me. Hell yeah. Oh, and the Sex with Simmery podcast, yeah. And, and we'll have a show notes for all that at the bottom. You know what? It's I'm awesome gonna... that a podcast is like an afterthought. Like, oh, yeah, also, what, yeah. I, f- I forgot to mention when I introduced her, and it's like the like big thing. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, if you want to get in touch with us, you can get in touch with us at twitter.com slash breakmayberry, facebook.com slash breakingmayberry, breakingmayberry at gmail.com, breakingmayberry on Instagram, uh, patreon.com slash breakingmayberry if you want to support us with your dollars and get all sorts of bonus content. And uh, that's really all about it. This has been a fun experiment. I don't think Dan and I are, uh, I think that we are just about done with Genie. Dan and I are going to take a few weeks off, and we'll be back in the new year with Breaking Mayberry Season 3. So until then, you can't put the Genie back in the bottle. Genie in a bottle, baby. Come, come, come on and let me out.